0: The Bible says that the road to destruction is wide, and there's many that go that way. And the road to life is narrow, and there's only a few that go that way. Well, we're going to be in James chapter 1, and I entitled this first message of our series here on Practical Christian Living, I've entitled it, The Reality of Life. Now, reality, it's what we all wake up to every day, right? Reality is facing the real issues that our world is facing right now. Reality is when we stop living in the world of make-believe. It's when we let go of imagining what cannot be. Reality is no longer holding on to the fiction part of our lives. Maybe it's called, I guess, maybe just growing up. Maybe it's when we're just ready to grab onto that which is authentic, the real thing, the things that we know are stable and true. When we're young, as you know, we want to do all kinds of things. We want to fly like Peter Pan, or we want to be noticed like Cinderella. We want and wish for a life that lives out like a fairy tale, that, you know, lives happily ever after. But once we start getting older, we realize that life is not a Disney or a Marvel movie. In places like Pandora on Avatar, well, they're just not real. Yes, in real life, we have to come to the place where we understand that. For the average person, not the spoiled child, of course, the average person, look, there's no free rides in life, right? You want something, you have to work for it. You know, we're never going to fly on a magic carpet like Aladdin did. And the Prince Charming's in life, ladies, I'm sorry to say, are going to one day turn into a couch potato. Okay, it's just a fact of life. And every princess will one day surrender to the throne of cheesecake probably but uh, yes there are certain rules that never seem to change like when what you're looking for will always be found where is it in the last place that you look right that just usually happens in life and for many the golden rule is just simply he who has the gold makes the rules right But why is it in life that as soon as the warranty is over, that's when the item breaks? Why does that happen, you know? Uh, Or the item that you just bought a week earlier goes on sale for half price this week. Oh, I hate when that happens. Or if we drop something, like it goes into a black hole somewhere. Have you ever just dropped something and think, it's got to be right here. You can't find it. It just it vaporized. You know, if you're anything like me, you can't stand when these kind of things happen. And now it's what? It's wear a mask. It's it's take a shot. It'll be forced to do what you don't want to do. Why is this so upsetting for some? Maybe us Americans can. Blame it all on the Declaration of Independence. Because we were raised with growing up with, hey, we should have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness and freedom. Yes, we were born with an attitude, I think, in America of self entitlement. We all feel that we deserve something a little better than what we got. And of course, it all started when we were just toddlers, I guess. And if you forget how the way you used to think when you were a toddler, let me remind you of your mentality that you had when you first started to walk and talk. See, we would think, well, if it's mine, it's mine, right? This is how you thought as a toddler and how I thought. If it's yours, it's mine. If I like it, it's mine. If I can take it from you, it's mine. If I think it's mine, it's mine. If I saw it first, it's mine. If I had it, I put it down, it's still mine. If you had it and then you put it down, it's now mine. <laughs> it's like, that's just the way we think as toddlers. Yes, without a doubt, we were born with an expectation of great things. But there's one problem with our high thinking. Right when you think nothing can go wrong, that's about the time that the whole bottom falls out. It was Job in the Old Testament that said this quote, Job 14.1. It says, man is short-lived and he's full of turmoil. Yes, without a doubt, we can have some high highs as humans, but we can also have some very low lows. And as much as we despise hardships, as much as we all want to flee, all the desert and valley experiences of life, we must remember what R.A. Torrey once said. He said this quote, despise not the desert. That's where God polishes his brightest gems. Don't despise hardship is what he's saying. Don't despise the difficult seasons of life because that is where God polishes those who are his. Consider Moses. He was raised in a lap of luxury for 40 years. As you know, he was floated down the Nile River. There was an edict out from Pharaoh to kill all the baby boy, the Hebrew babies. They floated him down the Nile, and who picks him up out of the Nile? Oh, it was Pharaoh's daughter that was down there bathing, and she picked up this baby out of the Nile. She's like, I'll call him Moses because I pulled him out of the water here. And so she raised Moses from an infant. For 40 years, he was raised as the prince of Egypt. In that time, he was trained to be a somebody. Yet, Moses, at 40 years old, had to flee to the desert. Why? Because he killed a soldier of Egypt who was beating a Hebrew slave. So he lived in the desert with nothing for the next 40 years that's when he discovered that, well, he was really just a nobody. Yet it was at that point that God called Moses at 80 years old, this man who thought for the first 40 years of his life that he was a somebody, but then he realized the next 40 years that he was really just a nobody. For God raised up Moses, this nobody out of the desert, to save everybody that was in slavery in Egypt. Well, we're going to begin this new study through this New Testament book of James. We will call this new series, again, Practical Christian Living. For James deals with the Christian life. He deals with our lives as it pertains to godly behavior. James wrote with passion. James wrote with a desire for believers to live an uncompromised and obedient life according to God's word. Now, James was bitter. Maybe bitter for all kinds of reasons. You know, maybe when Jesus all of a sudden at 30 years old is telling everyone, you know, like all of a sudden he's the Messiah, he's telling people, it's like, what's your brother got some Messiah complex or something? I mean, it's like maybe he was bitter about the whole thing or maybe he was bitter about growing up. Could you imagine having Jesus as your big brother? Oh my goodness. It's like, why can't you be like your brother? I'm sorry. He's perfect. Okay. So who knows? But it appears that James was next in line after Jesus was born, you know, to Mary and again her husband Joseph. Now, as you know, Jesus was born by Mary before relations with Joseph. See, the Bible is very specific that Joseph went ahead and married her even though she was pregnant, but he did not have any sexual relations with her until after Jesus was born and so again now as you know the catholic church teases, teaches that mary stayed a virgin and you know we are to pray to her and it's like uh sorry uh let's take what the bible says here we are not to pray to mary for anything mary was favored blessed was she in god's eyes he favored her just like he favors you and me and she had a job to do, and the job was to bear the Messiah. Was she favored maybe more than any other woman of that time? Uh, yes. What other woman got chosen to bear the Messiah of the world? But let us not forget, there's only one mediator between God and man. It's the man, Christ Jesus. We are never told to go to Mary, to pray to Mary, uh, you know, and intervene because, well, that's the mother of God. And, you know, uh, no. No, Mary had a job. She did the job and she is blessed among women. But as you know, she went on to have many other children after Jesus was born. In fact, you know, Remember when Jesus went to his own hometown to do miracles and he could not do them for their lack of faith? This is what the Bible says in Matthew thirteen fifty five, And it's throughout the Bible. There's multiple places where it talks about Mary having other children. Matthew thirteen fifty five says, Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters? Are they not all with us? And when then did this man get all of these things, these gifts? It's like, so they were questioning, they couldn't get past that. Jesus was born of Mary, and now all of a sudden he's the Messiah. They couldn't get past that, so that's why Jesus could not do any miracles in that time. Yet something happened, though, to James, because he didn't embrace Jesus as the Messiah. They questioned him, maybe because of the mocking that they took from their peers. But when James saw Jesus dead on the cross And then afterwards, he saw Jesus risen from the dead. Something happened to him. He had a conversion, you could say. And not only did he believe, but he became the main leader in this new church. So he had a radical conversion, his brother James. This book was written in approximately 45 AD, which would make it from what we know, out of the 27 books written in the New Testament, it would make it the first of all the books of the New Testament. It was written to believers who were fleeing Jerusalem because of their continued persecution from Herod Agrippa, that is the son of Herod the Great. Yes, Christians were under duress with much pain and much suffering, I wonder if you find yourself today in a difficult or trying place in your life. If so, then this letter is going to encourage you and it's going to uplift you. Or maybe you find yourself in a place where you're kind of in spiritual cruise control. You're a Christian, you go to church, you just kind of do your thing, but it's not alive and real. Then this book is going to awake you to a deeper and more intimate faith. Hopefully, all of us, wherever we are in our life with the Lord, will be challenged to take our walk with Christ to a whole new level as we go through this book. Let's look at our first point, surveying the why. As we read together, as we start this wonderful book here, James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Wow, are we going to get into this already? Verse 2, we're already jumping right in the middle of trials. Yes, we are. Verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Wow, we'll stop there. But before we get into the trials and hardships of verse 2, let's first look at verse 1. Notice how this letter begins. You know, James doesn't say, oh, by the way, I just happen to be the brother of Jesus. Yes, I was always in the same house that he was. My mother was the same as his mother. I came out of the same womb that he came out of. Now he doesn't do any boasting or bragging like that. But rather, I am James, a bondservant. Now, as many of you know, that word bondservant comes from a Greek word, doulois. And what does doulois mean? It means, I am a slave by my own free will and desire. Now, as Christians, we all come to the Lord the same way. You think, well, how's that? Well, none of us are forced to come to him, number one. None of us are taken captive. God doesn't put us into a headlock and say, you're going to follow me, you dirty rat. No, he doesn't say that. Okay. Jesus simply says to every single person on planet earth, come unto me, all you that are heavy laden and burdened down, and I will give you rest. It's a choice. Amen. It's a choice. We can come or we cannot come. No one is forced to come to Jesus. Jesus also said, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. I I come, I'm knocking at the door of your heart. Notice Jesus never said, I come to the door of your heart as the big bad wolf. And I'm going to huff and I'm going to puff and I'm going to blow the door down. And I'm coming in because I created you. I make your heart beat with no batteries and I'm just going to move right in. No, he doesn't do that. He comes and he knocks. If you don't want him, he goes to the next door. No, not all are going to come to Christ. The Bible says that the road to destruction is wide and there's many that, that go that way. And the road to life is narrow and there's only a few that go that way. Why is that? Because being a Christian means that we have all to have to do what? We have to deny ourselves. We have to humble ourselves before God. God says, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And what did I have to do when I came to know Christ? I had to humble my. I had to say, I have sinned. Oh, God, have mercy on me. I had to recognize my place in my position. Maybe you came to Christ in some other way. Well, maybe you didn't come the right way. Because when we come to Christ, it's acknowledging who we are. I have sinned. There's no conceivable way I could get to heaven outside of Christ. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have to confess our sin. The word confess means we have to agree with God. I am the dirty rat. I have done things that are wrong. And we have to be willing to submit ourselves to him in every aspect of life. The Bible says, if you wish to come after me, you have to deny yourself, take up the cross and follow me. Because if you don't, you will lose your life. I wonder if that's happened in your life, because that's what happened to James, the physical half-brother of Jesus he had to humble himself. He had to come to the point where, hey, listen, it doesn't matter if I was born out of the same womb. I need you as my Savior. Oh, forgive me. We are to become slaves by our own free will to him. And for those who might think, Ah, oh, wait a second, Pastor, you're going off the deep end here. I would never be a slave to anybody or anything. Well, <laughs> yeah, let's just say Maybe not so much. I would say everybody is already a slave to something. You are a slave already because everybody sins. And the Bible says that if we have sinned, then we have become a slave to that sin. The Bible says in 2 Peter two nineteen, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For what a man is overcome with, By that, he is enslaved. So your own life, your own life, what you watch, what you do, what you approve of others doing that might be wrong, whatever vice that you've come under, maybe you're a gossiper, maybe it's some kind of alcohol, drugs, maybe you watch things that you shouldn't be watching. All of these things, it's like we are all, subject to something in sin. See, when I was a heathen dog, it's like I didn't think I had any problems with anything. I I could stop anything that I wanted to at any time. It's not until you try to stop something that you realize that you are actually a slave to that thing. See, when you're just in sin and you're just doing everything, it's like you don't think there's any problem with anything. Try stopping doing what you're doing. Try taking some of the vices that you have and just saying, I'm going to quit cold turkey. Try to like never gossip about someone. Look, I don't gossip. Oh, really? People talking. Hey, you what about Joe Blow over there? What an idiot! Yeah, you're right. He's a bonehead. You know. And it's like you know it, you just there's you know, so many things that we do that we don't even think that it's wrong. And like oh, it's wrong. It's like never think a bad thought towards someone. But well, where'd you get your license? Kmart, Blue Light Special. Like who who lets you drive on the road? Okay, it's like all of these things. We will be judged for everything and not just the item, but the motive, what we were thinking behind it. We are so guilty. When you start looking at our life compared to what true holiness is, you realize how far and how wide the gap is between the two. And for those that are trying to wrap your mind around this mentality of being a slave by your own free will and desire, know this, it's not a slave that's being the problem. Because if you're a slave and God's the slave master, who? Of course you want to be his slave. Yes, Lord, whatever you want. Absolutely, because he is so loving. He's so kind. He's so generous. It's like, oh, my goodness. And every t- place that you see the word servant, almost every single place in the Bible you see the word servant, it's the, it's the Greek word doulois. So it's really a slave. So slave and servant is kind of the same thing. So you know, if you're totally up in arms with the word slave because it's so, you know, oh, my goodness, it's just like the, the 21st century wrong word to say. But it's like a servant, it's by doing whatever the other wants you to do. And when we come to Christ, we have to have that mentality of servanthood where he is the Lord. But again, you know, if there's any, if there's some kind of vice in your life that's out of a control area that continues to raise its ugly head in your life, which all of us have that area, one or two areas, you will be a slave of that thing. That's why we are in such desperate need as humanity for a savior, because we all need a savior. For when we become the slave of Christ, he brings us victory over the life of sin and death. Yes, when we become the slaves of the one who hung, bled, and died for our sins on the cross, that now enables us to embrace freedom from the things that once held control over us. Meaning before Christ, I I just did everything that was wrong. But in Christ now, I don't have to do the things that are wrong. Does that make sense? It's It's like before I just did them because I'm just a sinner. But now in Christ, I can have the ability to have freedom over those things that used to control my life alcohol, drugs, sex, this, that, whatever, stealing, all of these things that you just do. It's like, now I don't have to do those things anymore. In fact, the Bible says in uh, Philippians 2.7 that Jesus emptied himself, taking on the form of what? A bond servant and being made in the likeness of cement. So, God's asking us to become bond slaves, bond servants, do slaves by our own free will and desire. And what did Jesus do? He became a bond servant, a slave. Let's remember, he was God in glory, came down to the earth and lived in submission all the way to the point of the cross and dying for us. So Jesus never asked us to do anything that he didn't already do himself. And who did James write this letter to? He wrote it to the Jews who were being dispersed out of Jerusalem. Those who left Israel, those who were driven out because of the heavy persecution against the church. This letter was written by a born-again Christian, James he had become born again. He received Christ in his heart as his Savior. He was a believing Jew. James was what you would call a Messianic Jew, a Jew who embraced Jesus as his Messiah and Savior. That means that he is writing to all who believe in Jesus. For there is now no difference, there is no distinction now between a Jew and a non-Jew, a Jew and a Greek or Gentile. The Bible says in Galatians 3.28 that there is neither Jew nor Gentile, non-Jew. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus.
1: Thanks for joining us for Core Truth Radio. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app available on iOS and Android. Core Truth is sponsored by and a listener supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you have been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA, that's Core Church LA one word to 77977.